Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Stuart from Portsmouth, and you're listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, what is something you believe you are in the top 1% of in the world? Okay, here comes the show. And remember, question everything. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast where myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor Dame Baptiste, and my producer friend, Howard Cohen, a.k.a. The Hither. Hello! And a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked, and we are talking everything from... We are talking everything from Stuart from Portsmouth's question, what is something you believe you're in the 1% of in the world? Dane, what do you think? What are you in? You know what? That, I have to say, Stuart smashed that. Sometimes we have very that's a really good question. simple answers for the, on, on these questions, but that's a tough one. Uh, I, yeah, it's, a, it's a good question. Um, I think I would... Maybe I am in the 1% of black comedians that also speak German over six foot. I mean, that's even more. <laughs> that's even more of a one percent. Yeah, that's that. I, I think that might be the one. What about you, Howard? Uh, do you know what? I genuinely, Stuart. Well done, mate. You've actually stumped me. I don't actually have no. I don't actually know. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna have a think about that, Stuart. Get in contact personally, and I'll message you. Or well, Howard is in the one percent of the world of the people that I call my friend. Oh, well, that was nice, wasn't it? Can we can we can we make that bit? Make sure that bits in the show. Uh, but suffice to say, on this episode, we uh, we ask and answer all the questions, don't we, Dave? Absolutely, no question is too infinitesimal. No question is too highbrow, too lowbrow, and no question is too fraternal either. And if you do like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode. Or you can subscribe to us on Acast, the world's biggest podcast network. We can hear all of our very special questions being asked and answered by our very special guests. With that being said, on today's show, our very special guest is a comedian, writer, producer and podcast host from Houston, Texas. Her work centers around black cultural identity, mental health, sexuality, gender and healing and well-being just to name a few she's created curated and hosts the fuck it up comedy club which showcases films of color in comedy and on top of all of this she's also a regular co-host of the popular podcast the guilty feminist and can be heard on many other podcasts including this one today she is a polymath that some people sometimes refer to as beyonce and the owner of the lgbt or main of power and glory please welcome my very good friend to the podcast oh. miss or mix kima ball oh my god oh my god that intro <laughs> so powerful i hope I was, so i hope so there's some times where see because i know these facts but the way that you put them the way that you said them i was like who's that girl <laughs> it felt it felt very Eve. I was like, they wanna know who's that girl. <laughs> they do, they do. But Thank this is, you. No, our pleasure. As Howard and I would like to say, this is not just a podcast. This is a artistic digital florist, and we like to give people their wow. flowers. Why wow. the opportunity to do so? so oh my god! 
No, please accept this buccal bouquet. <laughs> Are you good? You, you said you were hungover a little bit, eh? Uh, a, a little bit is uh, less than what's happened. Uh, very much. <laughs> I mean, uh, very much. Um, uh, so I've come down to the Edinburgh French just to, like, hang out. And there are a lot of, like, spaces open until very late. And there's something <laughs> mysterious about being able to be out until 5 a.m. that just makes me do it. <laughs> yeah, it's there to be done, right? And you just finished a gig, and I just think it's very rare that you are in an environment where if the people don't appreciate comedy from a creative standpoint, they mm. they appreciate it from a uh, I guess as an from audience standpoint as mm. well, and they all come together like the fringe. I get it. You get to feel like a rock star for a month as a comedian, and very rarely do we get to enjoy that status. I, I think it's also like so. I was in London for most of the month, and the like. I would say 80% of my friends just fucking left and came <laughs> to Scotland, you know? During so, summer. During yeah, the summer as well. Honestly. I'm like, does anybody want to have a picnic? Um, it's frustrating. So to I'll like tell you what, does, I do think about the Edinburgh nightlife thing when I've been up there. Yeah. I, I spent a lot of, you know, know a lot of you, lot of you comedian people. And, 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 you know, I know you're not all like, not everyone's best friends, right? But a lot of people, you know, you all know each other, right? And you all, and mm. I think, I think up there, there is a little bit more of a we're all in it together thing because mm-hmm. you know it's hard right it's like a hard slog doing edinburgh so like i always felt on nights out that you'd be there and then you know someone else would come along and they've just finished their show and it went well and so they'd be like yeah you'd be kind of like there was a there's a, like, so many different energies going on and, yeah. and sometimes they can crescendo into very fun times it's so lovely like i had a uh, conversation with a comic last night, which, uh, pause, I just want to say that, um, I have two cousins that are, um, half German and they're both very tall. And so if I can get them into comedy, you'll probably no longer be in the 1%. Um, <laughs> but- I, I enjoy that. I, I want to feel like, I want to feel like I belong. I feel like I don't yeah. want to be, I feel like isolated if I'm in the 1% anyway. <laughs> exactly. They, how, how, are they, how are they British accents? Are they British? Um, they're not British. So was uh, that a part them. of your we thing? We train them. We can work on it. Yeah. Um, but I was speaking to a comic last night who I don't really see often. And basically he was like, I got a lot of respect for your work. Um, and I was just like, <laughs> and, and I think you're able to like because unless we like gig together we don't often see each other like as a community you mm. know because even in like London when we go to like say award shows or whatever not everyone's invited um, yeah. and so it's nice to kind of yeah be in this like ecosystem where you can be like hey man good to see you yeah. I think you're great it's really yeah, nice, isn't it? And um, it's, it's, all, it's also like I feel like it's like when you tell people to do comedy and people go, well, how, "How are you going to do comedy? You can't go to college and study how to become funny." But the fringe is almost do you like know what, going though? to college. Yeah, but actually, in this day and age, there are actually too uh, too many comedy courses in actual yeah. college. Yeah. Uh, it, I don't think it teaches you how like to actually be funny, but. Well, it's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane? As the format of this show dictates. Um, Absolutely. Kima Bob, as our very esteemed guest, we'd like People to invite you to ask the first rules. question. 
Oh my God, thank you so much. And uh, you can ask any question you would like, which we would like to discuss for you with you for like 15 minutes or some change. And then Howard Cohen, the hisa right here, would like to pose a question to you, which we could discuss for the same amount of time. And in keeping with tradition, I'd like to do the same. And then after no. we've had a little discussion. No? <laughs> okay. Well, that, that's, <laughs> that's <fine. laughs> All right. Let's revisit it after let's, all. Yeah, let's, let's, let's get back. Let's, put, let's, let's cross that bridge when we get we'll, to it. We'll yeah. go, we'll go question by question. Let's work that yeah. way. <laughs> but irrespective of how it works out, once, we're, once the dust settles, we would love for you to tell our listeners where they can find out about your good works, past, present, and future. How Never. does that sound to you? Okay. I'll get into it. I'll get involved. Um, this, my question is, as I'm here at the Fringe and, um, you know, as I exist in this industry, it feels like there are some people who, for some reason, their voices as individuals matter than the other individuals in a comedy audience. And oftentimes those opinions that are you know, um, disseminated in articles. Um, is disseminated the word? Yes. Yeah. Oh, she's killing it. Oftentimes those opinions um, can really have an impact on the performers, an impact on audiences. And I guess my question is why do comedy critics matter, exist? Um, like how do you guys feel about the validity of, you know, them and their role in the industry? Ooh, it's a good question, isn't it? It's a very good question. I mean, it? I remember a little while ago, I was with Dane. Um, I can't remember where we were. We were somewhere in person. But he got a review and it was, it was, it was one and a half stars. And it <laughs> broke him. <laughs> well, I was like, I was like, I saw him and I said, Hey, how you doing? And he's like, yeah, good. I was like, hey, great review last night, right? And he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, oh, I've just read this review of your show last night from the Evening Standard, mm. giving it four stars, you know, which is a good review mm. from the Evening Standard, a big publication. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And he just looked at it and he was like, yeah. And I just remember thinking, fuck me. <laughs> that is not the reaction that a lot of comedians are often at different stages in their career would, would, would give to that scenario. To some day, it would elevate their career they have a vital mm-hmm. moment you know you, you well, it's not doing necessarily like a vital moment for you and, and there's a reason for that right yeah i mean uh it's i think it's a really good question and there's something i uh it was an an industrial question i uh pondered very early in my career and mm-hmm. i think it happened around my debut show in edinburgh which is 2014 prior to that i'd had a review because i'd been in the leicester mercury competition uh, mm. where I'd been absolutely slated by um, a Chortle reviewer who's, I can't, I can't remember their name. And I, yeah, I don't remember their name, to be honest. Mm. And um, I had recalled them making references to my material, like letting down the competition and being very well suited to work in men's clubs. Mm. Um, however, myself, it had been obviously material that I'd practiced, which so I'd, I'd known it had worked. And uh, in fact... A year to the day after I got there. Can I ask, how did it feel in the room when you were there? And you, do you know uh, what I mean? Yeah, it felt fine. It felt fine. And yeah. I think it was an interesting one because I was in a competition and I'd had ex- previous experience in competitions before with rev- with uh, reviewers slash critics in particular and read their account of what had happened versus the experience I'd had in the room. Mm-hmm. So I think already I'd begun to uh, uh, harden my skin to uh, the perception of critics. And then this one cemented it where 
but to, to, I won't go into the, but to cut a long story short, they said I was terrible. And then the same publication, almost a year to the day, nominated me for best newcomer after I was mm. nominated for best newcomer at the fringe. Mm. And, um, I say, all, I, I say all of that because I was kind of, like, I was <laughs> like, so well, funny. it's so weird how I can, I don't think I've changed that much as a comic mm. and my style hasn't changed in response to it. But I think somewhere between then, I think it was with my debut show, I decided not to read reviews. Mm-hmm. And I did so because the first time I got an, a bad review, I remember thinking it wasn't really about what this person thought. It was more about, will this person be able to determine how people perceive me without them seeing me themselves? Yes. And that was yes. what, that's what worried me the most. And then I yeah. thought, I myself have never really made the decision based on what somebody else has said. Mm. Mm. And, I don't th- and, then, and when it comes to, to art being so subjective, no one ever does that. Mm. And then I started thinking about the nature of this person. And I think... I'm and I think always I to- like, who are these people? Well, that's a good question because then another thing happened where I had been asked to... Uh, in fact, you'll love this story. This is what it actually... This is the greatest... This is such mm. a good story because... <laughs> When I finally clicked about my view of critics, it was when I was asked to uh, be a judge yes. for the BBC Nights competition. Yeah, I remember this. Yeah, and uh, one of these PVD critics were right next to me. And I was like, well, I know I'm here because I just got a free evening where I'm not gigging. Uh-huh. Is that why you're here? Is because you don't really have anything to do in the evening other than going to sit at comedy clubs uh. or being at comedy. And mm. only really comedians or audience members have that kind of time and that kind mm. of interest. And... I thought, well, if I'm here and you and I are and they have equal footing mm-hmm. in terms of determining who goes through in this competition, why is your perception of me even matter? Yeah. And uh best part is the person sitting next to me was Steve Bennett from Chortle, mm-hmm. and the person I was putting through was Kima Bob. Ayo. <laughs> yeah, I actually had before, and I think it was um him. I was doing a different competition, I think that same year. And um, I remember him saying something like, my set was um, kind of all over the place, which probably right at that time, I um, wasn't doing like um, longer like routines. Mm -hmm. I was kind of trying to shove as much into like five minutes as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like I need to explain so much of who I am in the short period of time that I have up here. But what I didn't appreciate was he said something like, uh, he compared me to Maria Bamford. And I think yeah. it's because I talk about mental health, but he goes, she reminds me of Maria Bamford, except the like impressions and voices. And I was like, well, that's a huge part of her style, actually. So you're just saying that like, we both were talking about like mental health issues. Like, you know, and I was just like, who the fuck, what is this? But beyond that, I think seeing the way that these um, people's opinions um, have like affect, I, I, it feels like they're um, exerting their power. It yes, feels like they're doing exactly what they what can is. do to, and, you know, and I think around this time of the year at the fringe as well, they have an opportunity to feel big, bad and important. And when I say, who are these people? I'm like, if I'm standing in front of you, 
um, are, are you even my target audience? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, if- yeah, I know exactly what you mean. But more importantly, it's like, well, it's, I guess it's because, first of all, critics and their reviews are kind of like Scottish pounds during the fringe in that, mm. yeah, they seem to have some kind of value when you're there. But after mm. that, like, who the fuck talks about Scottish pounds for the mm. other 11 months of the year? Nobody. And then, go, so then as I did further investigations, it turns out, because I, I, I speak freely about it and not even from a place of malice, but I speak from a place of just reality and for, on a factual basis. So mm. Steve Bennett himself was a com- an aspiring comedian mm-hmm. who, who wasn't able to progress through the competitions and it afford a professional sense. career for himself. Now, for me, this is not a point of schadenfreude where I'm like, you didn't make it because I mm-hmm. think anyone who gets on stage, giving it a go, you know, it's commendable and you've oh, given yeah. it a go. And I'm always encouraging people to give Precisely. it a go because I think gatekeeping this industry, you know, is not cool. And I think ultimately, like, uh, comedy is a powerful thing, uh, form of uh, expression. And yeah. I'd love for like more people to have access to that art form. Yeah. yeah. And even, and even by the, by the token of it being an art form, there are also interdependent art scenes or entities which also drive the comedy industry. Mm-hmm. However, comedy critique isn't one of them. Mm-hmm. And think about any art form, it's always going to be subjective. Mm-hmm. And, by that token, as you said, how can you determine the uh, validity of something or an aesthetic just because you don't like it? But I tell you one yeah. element that, that's a, a play here. If I was, I'm not yeah, gonna, give it I'm to not, me. I'm not going to defend any of this, by the way. I'm just going to tell mm. you. I think I think one of the elements of play. So let's say, right, the three of us are hanging out tonight, right, and we're like, should we go to the cinema, right? And mm-hmm. if, you know, let's say the Jurassic, the new Jurassic Park film was out, and you're like, mm. okay, now. There's no doubt, right, that you wouldn't you would be affected by the fact that reviews for this new Jurassic Park film have been that that is quite a shit film, right? Mm-hmm. I, I've watched it, and I would tell you that I would say I'm not sure I would have paid to go to the cinema to watch that film, right? Mm. I think it's quite easy to pick up uh, a review of a film and accept it without the same feeling that you have when you're reviewing a comedian because mm. it's so personal. It's such a personal load of praise or or, or attack or criticism mm-hmm. compared to this giant Hollywood faceless blockbuster that mm. you just don't feel as as personal to, right? With and and that's why I think when you look at Edinburgh, and it's interesting actually because Dane knows that I work for this company now where they're called Why Now. If you like, you know, arts and culture, we're all over that. And mm. the guys that we sent to Edinburgh this year, they'd never really gone to do it before this is the mm. first year it's only been around a couple of years and our reviews uh, it's interesting <laughs> they're really positive uh mm. and it and, and it's because i think to be honest with you they're not they're, maybe there's some criticism in there but they're not really looking to criticize it they're more looking to kind yeah. of in- celebrate this yeah. art form that we're kind of embracing as an organization for the first time really so it is mm. I, I think there is a kind of lethargicness to these people's lives because they Look, you guys sit through how much other people's comedy, you know? You're not sitting there laughing every time, right? It's, it breaks people down a bit. Yeah, yeah but, but at the same time, even though you may you may not laugh yourself, if that comic, if, if a comic has a particular recognised audience and there are people that laugh at that comic's um, audience, I don't think the pressure is not on them to tailor their material to pander towards what my palette is. Mm. It's recognising that this person has nuance to their style and there are other people that pick up on that nuance and they enjoy it. The reason why I mentioned someone like Steve Bennett is because for me, I just take, I just, I myself am personally indignant about somebody 
critiquing my execution of an art form that themselves failed in. By the mm. same token, you know, um, when you look at um, athletics or you look at um, sports, you have to have had, Ooh. most of the time, pundits are normally come from yeah. a group of people that have gone yeah. through the journey of doing the sport themselves, yeah. and maybe achieving great, the sport themselves, so they are example. able to identify a good trajectory. So for I me, think- I, I always say that all the time, is that, like, you know, if somebody didn't even get to play college basketball, they wouldn't be mm. a pundit for the NBA. And for mm-hmm. me, it's like someone who's not been able to prosper as a professional comedian can't mm. really critique or determine the direction of that individual. My friend uh, Phoebe Burke, who's absolutely lovely, we were having a short chat about it and she was like, I feel like critics should have to um, at least do like five minutes before they like go out and try to like rip people up. And I well, think uh, sports- if, they, if they're in the critique a show, they need to be been able to have done a show. That's mm-hmm. what I feel. And, I'm and with al- it. I'm and with also it. A, a comedian, uh, also com- comedy critics as well. It really, it, we should definitely look at not just their qualifications in that respect, but also what their allegiances are. Because there's mm-hmm. been, there have been critics that have said, and again, Charles, another example, where they have asked people to pay them to come and review their shows. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, as soon as your application towards art or your essence in art is commodified, mm-hmm. there's an issue there because it means you're open to the highest bidder. Also, so it's like, who are you and how do we get yeah. more? I, I wonder, like, because I think, um, I wonder if I would feel less, um, quite frankly, disgust and hostility towards uh, reviews and whatnot. Um, you know, I go as far as to openly question, you know, uh, these panels that award awards and the idea of awards, you know. Absolutely. But I um I wonder if I'd feel less weird about them if I felt like there was more diversity in, you know, in I, that bit of the industry. I think it's a very important I mean? point. I know exactly what you mean, because one of the subtexts that I found in a lot of reviews or reviews from, uh, you know, people for, who resemble ourselves, Kima, is that um, mm. there was always this uh, supposition that we were mimicking Americans in our discussion about race relations. Mm. And I always found it very strange. Ah, that- that's so funny because um, uh, race relations and issues about race actually don't happen here. So yeah, and that, and that, and that happened for that happened for a very very long time. And it meant as an artist, I had to find very subversive and novel ways to broach the conversation about race mm. relations because critics who have who themselves have not come from environments that are rich in uh, culture or mm-hmm. ethnicity or diversity would then be determining how they would then be determining how valid my observations were when they've been in no position to be able to check mm-hmm. the validity of those um uh, of yeah of those observations and i think again it, that that was another thing that made me realize that like i i have my career i and that's why i stopped reading reviews which is what how was kind of joined around is that mm-hmm. i've never read reviews whether they're positive or negative um some critics have even gone so far as to at me on reviews on Twitter, almost mm. trying to force me to look because they, they're aware that I don't look at uh, reviews mm. because I think I, I just decided, especially with the revelation came that one of the reviewers themselves and many of them are mm-hmm. failed comedians themselves. I decided that I can't, I wouldn't have somebody. They are, they're no more relevant than any other audience member. Oh, exactly. And- I actually <laughs> have had a bit of a, I've had a bit of a moment where I was like, I wonder if I um, were to do a show, if I could set up some kind of like 
online like form for like audience members to submit their own review and do you know what I mean? Uh, like, Absolutely. Like because ultimately, ah, uh, it's it's just it's it's just so refreshing. Like ultimately, um, why why does your opinion matter more? And also coming to into this space, let's just be so real about it. Um, the average Edinburgh audience is not going to be the comedy audience for the rest of the rest of the time you're doing comedy because 60% of the audience are people based in Edinburgh and you know are either going to be made up of uh patrons of comedy or people who are based in the UK because I mean and the fringe is such a microcosm of what represents comedy because mm-hmm. they don't they don't even advertise it on television so it's not like there's, there's, a, so there's a large amount people, of awareness from it there's so many people who never heard of it exactly who don't even know that this exists and so the idea that um this is so important or that the way that fringe audiences uh, receive you is an like accurate reflection of like how your career will be you know i think it's bullshit we'll be back after this mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com/acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com/acast. Welcome back to the show. But I think yeah. I think there's a few, so many things at play here. Right? I'm gonna I'm gonna like throw because mm. you know like, yeah. I, I remember looking at a review right for a guy that I know uh, called Mark Silcox. I'm, I'm pretty mm, sure I love Mark. Right. Yeah, I remember seeing Mark get a review one star right, and it was Ooh, like the that most, sounds like they didn't get him. What was yeah. the? This is what I was gonna say right. So like if you see Mark Silcox's work live or on on camera because he does mm. he's an actor. You, you would see someone who some people are definitely not. This is not for everyone. Everyone. Right? Mm-hmm. And I, I can tell you there's a, quite a few people I'd reference in that space. I, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd reference uh, Luke McQueen, who uh, we mm-hmm. haven't had on the show, but we should get on the show. Who's a very interesting oh, guy. Erica Elo is a great example. Yeah, yeah. I was, and, I, and the other one I was going to say was, um, and, and, you know, I know that I know all these people I'm referencing, so I'm not going to be like slagging anyone off. Mm. <laughs> but I wouldn't slag them off anyway. But the, it is. Richard Gadd, right? I went to see mm. Richard Gadd, right? A mm-hmm, comedian who mm-hmm. I've seen do a lot of different types of things live. And he's a, he's a funny guy. Brilliant. And I saw him do a show right, where he, he was on a treadmill, running on this treadmill and interacting with video screens behind him. Now, I cannot describe listeners how avant-garde and uh, artistic a version of comedy that was. And mm. the show went on to win... Uh, the Edinburgh Best Show Award at the Edinburgh, you know, that year. Mm. And I think if you tried to compare what he did that year 
or any year to any what would be considered a traditional comedy show. Mm. I would, Dane, I would I would class some of what you do as a traditional comedy show. Yeah, right? definitely. Uh, mm. I think it's just completely mental to think that mm-hmm. those things could be compared. Mm-hmm. Uh, the art form is so nuanced in a way mm-hmm. that like, well, it's like this. Okay, let's go like this. Music, right? What do you like mm-hmm. listening to? Oh, oh my God. So much stuff. But like, give me so, one thing that's in your yeah. list at the moment. I don't oh, know. okay. Actually, I'm going to take this moment to <laughs> do a recommendation. Um, there is this uh, band, uh, I think they're from New Zealand, called mm. Hiatus Coyote. Do you know them? No. Yes. Love their shit. Yeah, yeah. And do you know what gets me about them? When I first heard them, I was like, these are obviously black people. They're not. I'm like, mm. what's going on in New Zealand? <laughs> um, but yeah, I absolutely love their shit. And it, it sounds like... Um, Oh, it it sounds so like it's chaotically beautiful. Mm. Like some of the music is the best way I can put it. Nice. And um, yeah, well, there's, you, a, there's to, a whole there's a whole thing going on in that world at the moment. At that bit of the world, yeah. like, Tame Impala, I think, that yeah, has kind of inspired comedy whole... and music over there is fucking. You know, they're something really going on, right? Something. Good era, yeah. There's a good and era. Musical comedy as well. It's a pretty good to, era for it. To but compare th- them to say to be like, well, they don't sound like Britney Spears. It's yeah. fucking madness. But but in comedy and the, the way the critics work, it does feel like that. What's that's ooh, what's going ooh. on, uh, and. You know, but, it's, but it, it very much depends on what we're defining as a critic, and that that is the point that I want. And any comedians that are listening to this, to uh, aspiring comedians, is the fact that like two things is that it's what the qualifications are required for you to be a, uh, a reviewer in Edinburgh, because mm. essentially all you need is to set up a domain name and a website and have right. a laptop and be prepared to attend as many shows. Oh yeah, but it's oh, what, yeah. what you do with the rest of your year is what concerns me. And the second thing, as I said, is that when someone is uh, critiquing at the validity of my observations, and as they're from the similar environment, they can't mm-hmm. make that reference. And that's what mm-hmm. I found with Chortle. Chortle is largely, if not entirely, staffed by cisgender, heterosexual mm. white men mm. and who have probably not travelled outside of the home counties or oh, spent any time within yeah. the environment where they would have been a... a not even get into or, like class privilege as well, right? Well, yeah, and, and, and come from a particular class, but, mo- but yeah. much... Much more importantly is the fact that it's helmed by somebody who themselves has failed at comedy. Well, so that's what I was just going to say. Sorry, I, yeah. I was going to one quick, quick thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a guy who's almost at the other end of the spectrum, which is a guy called Elliot Gonzalez, who's who would be welcome mm. to come on the show. He does a, yeah. does a website, and you've probably seen it called I Talk Telly. Yeah, and the man's enthusiasm <laughs> and love for the thing that he spends his time writing about. It's the, mm. You can just hear it on the page. Like, I and, love and you that. Kind of, you kind of feel like that's what being a critic yeah. could, could largely be about. I feel like, and I think that kind of shift would be so beautiful. Like, uh, give me a little, give me a little preview. Give me a little, like, you know, like a window into what this show might be about. And if you're gonna, like, I don't know. But okay, so that's not what I was gonna say. What I was gonna say is the um, like worst um, the worst like uh abuse or whatever I've uh, received like uh online for doing comedy and stuff has always felt like it came from people who uh couldn't handle the audacity 
of me doing this work, being celebrated and paid for this work, and the fact that they had to watch it on their TV. And I think there's something to be said for people who, whether they want to do the work or don't want to do the work, um, feeling a certain way about what you do and not being able to see it because there are things about you that they can't get behind. And I think that plays into it. And I've seen some um, reviews of the work of people of color and black women at the fringe this year. And it's felt like uh, they're like moving the goalpost. Um, It's felt like uh, who, who does this person think they are? Yeah. Um, And it's it's about them. And it's about them trying to subversively control the direction of that collective consciousness yeah. or that narrative yeah. because what happens is with artists is that especially if they're not necessarily resilient or they yeah. are fooled into believing that this critical class mm-hmm. forms a part of their uh, scene they mm-hmm. begin to they'll begin to try to either conform to the narrative or mm-hmm. the backlash they receive from critics or try to mould themselves into an aesthetic which they think is more palatable to critics and I just want everybody to know from black women and anyone else who considers themselves outside of what is the mm. uh, appreciated aesthetic in mm-hmm. Edinburgh is that these people, however you want to feel, they live a parasitic life. Art mm. will continue to endure and be innovated on mm. uh, and to evolve irrespective of whether or not critics exist. Yeah, yeah. Because we what would cons- they write about if we weren't making it? There you go. And also, yeah. the, if you think about even the, uh, the act of critique, that is an even more ubiquitous gift than when everyone says everyone's a comedian or a critic. That's why everyone says, because people say everyone's a comedian, but really everyone could be a critic because you being able to find humor in everyday phenomena is a much harder task than saying you don't like something. Mm-hmm. We all, we're all critics. Whenever we like, everyone realizes they can be, they can be a critic when the first time someone puts a spoon in their face and they go, no, num nums. Like yeah, yeah, technically yeah. you're a critic then, I, but I don't like carrots. Right. You're a critic. But that's not something that you identify as some kind of potential. Like no one's parents are ever like, I knew Steve uh. was going to run a website like Chortle the first time I tried to give him num nums. And he said, uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> and when he said, uh uh-uh, uh, I knew uh, uh, this kid didn't say uh uh-uh uh like anybody uh, uh. else. Yeah. He, yeah. I think he, it was almost as if I wanted to really go back and really change my num nums. And my num nums, <laughs> as that plane flies into that hangar, uh, has yeah. changed over the years. It's not something anybody has ever said. My baby's ability to judge others has always been so sharp. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No one's ever like that. The way he was like, I don't like that. I was like, I mean, all kids hate peas. But the way this kid hates peas, this kid just does. He seems like he has a reason. Yeah. It's, it's a wild one. I saw a review for uh, my friend Tanya Moore's show. I was I literally about to bring this it. up. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, it's something. What Do you know the headline of the article? It's something like, can an hour survive on uh, laughs alone? Or can some it, shit like just that. so we get it, just so we get it right. Uh, and, Brian Logan, who wrote this, is welcome to come on the show. Can a comedy show get by on laughs alone? And I was like, okay, so let me just, let's just, and I'm, we, we all know Tanya, right? So, we, yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're like, you know, I, I read you, I read the article and personally, I'm like, what's the fucking point? In what, what, you're just what, what, the what are you just written? What the fuck is the point man? in what you're just saying? If you're saying that you know what this show's all right, and you know for me it's this, you're gonna do yeah, this yeah, observation yeah. is no, you know what? Some people are going to do shows that 
don't have a big thread and you don't pull yeah. on your heartstrings and are just trying to make you laugh. And to, to yeah. phrase it like that around Tanya's show. Especially you know, a show you, entitled Just Laughing. But I was about to yeah, say, yeah, it's just thing, being funny. But I think yeah, it's really important being, yeah, to say, just, funny, yeah, just, just so we try to be so. reasonably fair to this guy, Brian, who I've never met. And you know what? If you're welcome to come on the show. But like, if he's doing that about lots of shows so he's going hmm i went to a bunch of shows this year and i noticed that a few of them yeah, don't really yeah. have that classic edinburgh yeah. thread where at the end i might think about crying you know yeah if it was yeah. if it was just that i fine. might think about crying <laughs> <laughs> which, which, which in itself is an issue because I, I need to cut you guys this as well yeah, because yeah. i think with uh hannah gadsby and then with richard gadd there was mm. a very short brief period where we got to the point where this critical class were judging comedy shows on how much they made people cry Mm, which mm. really is an incomplete, a complete paradoxical state of being when it comes to judging shows at a comedy festival. I'm going to argue that one a little bit, Dave. I'm okay. going to argue that one a little bit, mate, because I'd, I'd say that I think, you know, art, it's, comedy is an art, right? And it, what happens is, is, is the, you know, things shift, right? And, and it just so happened that over a period of years, you know, you think of what probably went on in the, in the 90s in Edinburgh, yeah. Edinburgh has provided a platform for these kind of, I, I'm, I'm going to use the word avant-garde, art house, whatever you want to call mm. you know. It's just, it's, it, the word comedy and drama have kind of merged on our screens. And I think they, you mm-hmm, know, with stuff mm-hmm. like Fleabag, you know, whereas on, on stage, I think at Edinburgh, it provides this platform for people to do something that isn't just comedy, mm. I think. Yeah. Yes, I've favorite... got a counter argument to it though, because yeah. you want to hear this, Kima, is that mm. if that's the case, then the Jambi McGrath should have been recognised for her show about her father mm. being in concentration camps during the Mau Mau uprisings in Kenya. Mm-hmm. And what happened was that Steve Bennett from Chortle went to her show and gave her zero stars because he said the show discusses so much tragedy that he can't review it as a comedy show. Great. So again, there Great. is an absolute bias. And if the idea I also can't... is that comedy comes from tragedy, the way that the entire critical class has downplayed the observations about race relations from black comedians yeah. is yeah, also... Yeah. A complete yeah, yeah. contradiction because that's in an essence you take an, when you're discussing gender politics or uh, or sexual orientation or race relations you're normally doing it so from a place of oppression or no power where you've mm. taken your more traumatic experiences and been able to recontextualize them as comedy so people mm-hmm. can understand so if we're going exactly, to be exactly so if we're taking tragedy plus timing and saying that's comedy well, that's being done by anyone that was discussing race relations or sexual orientation or gender politics that's what's or, troublesome yeah. because if that's what really gets me about it, I think, ultimately, is, like, can I trust you to actually see me, to try to see me? And, you know, so much of my life growing up, a lot of the comedy that I consumed, you know, it was very, like, um, freaks and geeks, super yeah. bad, a very Judd Apatow time. Um, famously, not a lot of people of color in his shit. Yeah, um, not, not a lot of women in particular in yeah. uh, positive roles. Just ask yeah. Catherine Heigl. <laughs> so coming into, like, but I, I, to allow myself to be entertained and to receive what could possibly be really entertaining for me, uh, I crossed a bridge mm. to go, I'm not a teenage white boy but I'm enjoying this portrayal of that experience, right? And I just don't know if I can trust a lot of people writing these things, judging these things, to try to cross that bridge. 
Yeah, because it's got to be because it, it, I mean, because for, for a start, comedy is largely reflective of society, and you're dealing with an honest form of politics. And if you're not living in a society which uh, is already uh, cognizant of your plight under mm. normal circumstances, mm-hmm. it's very hard for them to have a frame of reference to talk about it from a comedic standpoint. Yeah, and I, I will note that it's a part of our job to um, maybe put that bridge out, right? Yeah. Like you have to, a part of effective communication is doing your best to be understood. Yeah. Um, but some people, I think, are like, oh, this is a lot to have to understand. Yeah. Some people have an unconscious bias because they'll do in normal conversation anyway. And that's the thing about your narrative as a comedian is you're trying to emulate conversation. But if you're dealing with entities that normally tend to um, be obtuse when you're discussing the same issue under normal circumstances, they're not going to be any more receptive to those discussions. It's like, you know, when people, it's like we look at like the majority of consumers of hip hop music are black, for mm. example, even though we are mm. overrepresented in that music genre. But because there is such an enlarged contingent of people who may not enjoy the sub, the black self determination subtext of, of hip hop, mm-hmm. it determines the direction of it on a commercial level. And I think any full art form is, uh, can be in danger of that, depending on the power that critics have. And that's why, you know, I just think to myself, well, they can only have the amount of power I pre- I'm prepared to give them. A thousand percent. Yeah, thousand and that's why. Percent. So I think I learned very early on, as I said, whether it's good or bad, I would read it. Because by the same token, if I had a critic who was basically a sycophant, who basically loved everything I did, then again, it would be very difficult for me to work out how to evolve yep. my art form as well. Because I mean, like, whatever I do, they're going to love it anyway. Yeah. I and mean, what you don't have then is that you don't have critique then you have cultism which can all be equally damaging mm. so yeah. i personally feel like you know um in terms of what the point of critics is i would say the there's a point to a critic but the most important one is your own is yourself mm. i hear that. that 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 should be your main critic should be yourself because yeah, that, yeah. at the end of the day yeah, yeah. when it comes to creativity you are going to be your best friend and your worst enemy a thousand and that, percent and that's the only part of your creative complex that you need to learn to manage because one day your best supporter may not be around, but you mm-hmm. still need the impetus to continue to create. And at the same time, you know, I've even had to learn, like, especially through the merit of social media, just by the fact, like you said, that some, the fact that you're just doing it will be considered mm-hmm. audacious to some. Mm-hmm. And you can't consider that factor either. Because, And I'd say to anyone who has creative aspirations, when you think about what you want to do with your art, and when you thought about the first time you were going to take the stage, Kimo, you didn't think about critics you may have thought if nobody laughs, but you never mm-hmm. thought there should be a particular person that has the mm-hmm. power to say yes or no. Mm-hmm. It was ne- it's, it's never, um, oh, I'm going to get in front of this room and I need to please that man. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm going to stand up in front of this entire room of people, but the one who matters most is, uh, you know, white middle-class man in his mid-50s that I've right. ever met. And even if and even if that was the case, even if you were doing another uh, form, even if you were doing a driving test and then your instructor, you was like, and how did it go for you? And he was like, mm-hmm. I haven't passed. You'd be like, what the fuck what you think then? <laughs> but you know what? I would say one thing, uh, you know, just purely just, just because we're, you know, in that time of year with Edinburgh and stuff. Mm-hmm. If there's loads of comedians out there in Edinburgh and they saw someone say something nice about them and it helped them keep growing mm-hmm. and developing and have more confidence in their ability at a stage in their career when they might need that, right, Dane? You know, early stages. Yeah. Mm. 
It can be a, it can be a good thing. It can be good, I but, I, but I would say, and I could, I can only speak from personal experience to aspiring comedians. Someone can write something nice about you, but you know how to be quite blunt. You can fuck somebody well enough at the fringe and they'll write something nice about you. <laughs> so I would say <laughs> you can or be friends with somebody yeah. and they can write something mm-hmm. nice about you or promise mm-hmm. to, or the promise of sex would be enough to get a good review. But I would say the best thing to do is listen to the people in the room that have paid to come and see your show. Yeah, yeah. Because those are the people that are yeah. going to support a career. Listen to yourself. Yeah. Listen to yourself first and listen to them. Because also in this environment, you know, the audiences that I perform for and that I enjoy performing for because I enjoy sharing space with these people. Um, I, I'll be frank. Sometimes there are some people that I don't actually care to um, entertain. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I say listen to yourself because there will be, you know, some people are uh, a bit shit. Uh, some people are a bit shit. But beyond that, there are like billions of people on this earth. Yep. Um, and you, the the people that your shit like resonates with and who really like your shit might not be right here right now. So no. I say, listen to yourself first, hear the room. You know, and, uh, you know, that's live feedback in real time. And someone was saying to me as well about being here, like, um, because these people may not be uh, their people, they're able to identify the, like, weak points in their thing and, like, fortify it, right? The things that maybe their people would just eat up. These people are like, I don't fuck with you, and that wasn't funny enough. Um, So I definitely see the, like, validity of all of it. And I think maybe I would uh, embrace... Uh, the critique more. Um, I think th- the stars are interesting. I wonder if I would embrace it more, maybe sans stars, but mm. also if it was more about celebration and going, hey, I just want to draw your attention to something I really enjoyed and less about um, tearing people down, exerting power, et cetera. Yeah, yeah especially, when, especially when they've not had a conversation with you. I think mm. that's another part as well is that like I had a review where someone has said, it's, it seems that Dane thinks this show is his opus. And I was like, at no point at any time mm. did I consider this show to be my opus. Mm. So again, it's like, you know, in the same way that we require, you know, basically a critic has no superior power over another audience member. And in the same way that you would disregard an audience member that critiqued something you said when they had no context for saying it, it's the same for a, a reviewer because essentially, remember, they are commenting on a snapshot of your art as a whole. Yeah. Like there, there can be a number of things that have been the makings of who you are as a person to uh, create what you have done. And if, mm-hmm. unless someone is aware of that and can't review it, then there's only so seriously they can take it's it. It's brave. Yeah. Like to get up, to get up and put your, put, put yourself in the position to put on a show here or anywhere. It takes strength, it takes courage, and I think a lot of the time um, that's taken for granted. I did Most, uh, yeah. I did what? I did in that brief period of my life a few years back, I did like 160 gigs, uh, mm. and I never got one word written about it, and it didn't matter a, mm. for a moment. <laughs> because exactly, because it's, the it's, people exactly in the that, rooms right? kept laughing, so that's why I kept doing exactly. it. Exactly, and also how that and that will be and that will also be part of your memories. Like even when you look mm-hmm. at artists that have passed on, like when you want to evoke that artist again, you'll go and hear their music. You won't go and yeah, read the review for their music. Exactly. Ah, so, that's so funny. That's yeah. such a great point. Like, oh man, 
I, I really, really miss this guy. And I think I just want to hear what someone else thought about him. This is it. <laughs> and, 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 and also it's like, well, you have to also consider how long the critic, uh, will last in the time now where we have no, we now all have everyone's a critic methods. yeah mm-hmm. yeah and not only as a critic we all have the tangible method to express our critique in the first place mm-hmm. so it's very easy for us now to even critique the critique to critique the critics and if we can critique yeah. the critics so who criticizes the critiquers of the critics like yeah, it's, yeah. who so, watches and, uh, the watchman precisely <laughs> who watches the watchman and, and, and that's what the point comes down to is that you know that's why i always say irrespective of what who whoever the watchmen are this exists as a separate entity. Art will continue to evolve and it will continue to inspire irrespective yeah. of whether or not people critique the direction of where that art is going. And that's why yeah. I think it's important for everybody is, is that you as an artist, whenever you are confronted by these kind of, I guess, ex- existential threats or mm, issues, mm. is to remember mm. that uh, this is a completely separate entity show and show business are two very different things. Yeah, yeah. And well you're said. you're supposed to thrive at the most in the part of the show. That's mm-hmm. that. The only thing that drives you is your love, your connection to an audience uh-huh. or consciousness and mm-hmm. the ways in which you express that. Whether or not there's money involved, whether or not there's critique involved, mm-hmm. this is always going to exist. And I mm-hmm. feel that because this is the only independent variable is your need and want to create. Yeah, well said. And well, look, Dane, it's happened again, mate. We only made it through one question because the guest's question was so good. So good. Which it should be. I think it should be. I think it's a. It was a five star question. And um, I I think it's a hot. I think it's like a. It's something. I just think. I just think we are at a time where we're questioning so much. We're questioning. like what? What the fuck is the government doing? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like I think there's a lot of awareness, and I think institutions, in order to be their best, need to be uh, scrutinized and interrogated and looked at. And we Absolutely. love questioning stuff, and um, we hope you like questioning. You know the the the, the show, and feel free to leave us a review, uh, listener. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, no, but do feel Shut free. No, but no, yeah. they, they can. They can <laughs> of course, no, but you, you know you can you can leave a review because you know we live in a world where we've made opinionation. Uh, we've almost made it an equal to, uh, I guess, fact. And people, this is why you have this. I'm entitled to my opinion. Um, yeah, yeah. Affirmation people have. And I always say to people who say, I'm entitled to my opinion and I'm entitled not to give a fuck about it at all and call it stupid and completely disregard it. Leave some stars in the comments. Yeah, so if you leave some stars or whichever geometric shape you choose. (laughs) <laughs> Gima, you gotta you gotta come back again you're gonna come back we'll do this we'll I'd see you again to. because we I, this you've been a fantastic amazing guest it's been a real pleasure thanks even in the midst of oh god i'm gonna be up until <laughs> five again today i can feel it probably six i think that's why it works this is a great episode because you're at your most reflective and most open you're uh, in a creative hub you are imbibing yeah, yeah. You were yeah, imbibing yeah. delicious drinks and stuff. And, I had uh, a therapy on Zoom the other day, hungover, and all. Oh, you know, I think there's something about being hungover it just cracks you open a little bit. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's, it's like, hard. It's hard. 
It's like I find a, myself getting way too emotional listening to music. Way too emotional listening to music on a train. Just like, God, why is this really getting to me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah, up, yeah. It's just Uptown Girl. I don't know why this is. I don't yeah. even like Billy Joel. She uh, was living in it. Yes, she was. <laughs> she yeah, really she was. 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 Yeah, yeah. She was. She was. Yeah, yeah. And he's <laughs> hitting that. Oh, he's hitting that shit. And you know oh. what? It's, it, it stands to reason that he was maybe in the same state when he wrote it. Probably mm. like took another mm. sip in a, and then like, oh, man, I can't believe we're in the studio again. Hanging out with her uh, uptown girls, uh, uh, living living her uptown world. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, but it's been a brilliant episode, even if we only did one question a day, and it worked perfect. Oh, not at all. I think it's been an important question, and this tis the season for questions of this nature, Kima. Ooh. So very uh, topical and thematic at the same time. So thank you very much. Always great to see you. Uh, Thanks for having me. Our and do you know what matters most? I had fun. If we've learned anything from this today. (laughs) That's exactly what matters the most. Um, Kima, please, can you tell our great listeners where they can find out more about your great work, past, present and future? Well, definitely. Um, uh, 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 You edit this sometimes, right? Okay. Not that bit, no, but yeah. Why don't I know? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Find out about fuck it up comedy for a start. Well, I'm literally just like, I'm in my head, I'm like, oh, send send him to Instagram. And then, but what's coming out of my mouth is like, (laughs) Um, yeah, so like, if you're interested in, uh, yeah, what I am making in this world, usually I shout about it on Instagram at on Twitter at Kima Bob uh, but one of the most important things I've ever made my child my baby my heart is the Films of Color Comedy Club and as Dane said we platform comedians of color so Dane that are not cis men um, just because I think it's important to hold space for that kind of energy and um, I'd even still if, like, I'd still like to see it I don't give a shit oh, oh, it. <laughs> oh definitely come through but what's interesting is like I think that uh, Uh, What I love about it is um, there's an audience that we are finding um, and that we're welcoming in that has no idea that things like this are happening, right? That the fringe is happening. And that's the best Uh, part, exactly. A a lot of people who are like, I thought comedy wasn't for me. Um, You know, I haven't, you know, I've been afraid of comedy. Someone said this show cured my comedy phobia. That's great. Um, You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's a beautiful thing. And what uh, we've done recently is we've launched a podcast. And in this first season, uh, we've already had over 30, I think 34 different comics. Um, And by the end of the season, I think we'll have uh, over 50 different comedians of color that aren't cis men. And this industry likes to act like uh, these talents aren't out there. And I'll say there are people... You know, that range from um, Desiree Birch and Shazia Mirza and Esther Menido, um, like Apollo babes, to people who are in the first year of their career. And I love being able to share that range of talent with people. So it's called the FOC, like Fuck It Up um, podcast. And it's available in all the places. And you get to hear comedy from these people, but also we have a bit of a chat. And I think just like in those, like we're talking about reviewing, I think that bit of chat allows you to have a bit more of a window into what people are about and to be like, actually, I can get behind this person. And it's been really lovely and fun so far. Sounds amazing. Well, that's a great review from us. And uh, thank you so much for coming on uh, the podcast, Kima. 
Have a great rest of festival, and I will see you when you're Thank back you. in the end. Yes, thanks for having me. Back to Thank bed you. she goes. You've been listening to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dame Baptiste and myself, Howard Coe. Our guest was Kima Bob. You can follow Kima on Instagram at Kima Bob. For more from Dane and myself, make sure you follow us on Instagram at Dane Snaptiste and at the Howard Cohen. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for Dane, make sure you send us a DM on Instagram at DBQE Podcast and we could feature you in our next episode. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. Insanity Group. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.